Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Glad to see you here this morning. Glad to see everybody who's streaming with us online. Glad that you've joined us here today. If you are new with us, we have several new people who are here visiting with us for the first time this morning, and a lot of people streaming for the first time in this new year with us. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope, and we're delighted that you've joined us today. So uh, let me just say from the bottom of my heart, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We are still a little bit in the Christmas spirit up here on the stage. We're going to be taking down our Christmas decorations later on this week. How many of you still have your Christmas decorations up at home? Lots of people here. See, we're not lazy. We're just celebrating the 12 days of Christmas, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, um, listen, uh, before I jump in the message, there's just a couple of little church notes I want to give to everybody. First off, I just want to say we are coming out of, obviously, the Christmas season here that we had one unlike any other in the history of our church. And I want to take a moment to just honor people because we held services indoors. We held services outdoors. We did a whole different online experience. Pastor Dale, you know, did a dance and jig in everybody's living room. And it was just, it was crazy. All the stuff that we had to do, it took a ton of volunteers and a ton of faithful staff members and a ton of you to help make that possible. Can we honor all of the team who helped make Christmas happen at Community of Hope? Thank you, and especially to our production team up back there. Nobody ever sees them, but can we honor them and our camera people? Thank you so very much. Um, Man, to be able to put on the services we had outdoors here, if you came to that and you saw the stage, it was pretty cool, wasn't it? That was awesome. We held socially distant services safely indoors at the East Campus, and we did a whole different thing online. And uh, let me just tell you, um, we're still getting all the numbers right, but we're pretty sure uh, by a good bit that it was the highest attended Christmas ever in the history of Community of Hope. Pretty cool. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. So uh, speaking of all that, Pastor Dale, he's going to be back with us next week, and he's going to update everybody about our missions offering, and I know a lot of people are wondering about that. Well, we closed our offices all last week to give our staff just a needed break after a very busy December, and so uh, when the offices are closed, uh, we like can't count. <laughs> so we will be counting this week, and we'll be updating everybody about the missions offering next week from Pastor Dan. We're excited about that too. So by the way, if you haven't given to that yet and you still want to, just because it's the new year doesn't mean it's not too late to give to that. If you missed your opportunity, you still want to give, please feel free to give to the missions offering. And we talked about that all throughout December. You can get more of that information on our website on the giving page at communityfolk.church slash give. So make sure you check that out. Well, um, I've had it, like I said, it's been a Merry Christmas and a happy beginning to the new year for everybody. And because it's a happy new year for the start of the year, that means it's death to 2020. And all God's people said, amen, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's not like just because we it's January 3rd, 2021 doesn't mean every, all of our problems go away, but it does feel cathartic, doesn't it? It just really does. I want to show you guys my new favorite ornament my wife gave me this year for Christmas. Look at this. Is that awesome? Oh, it's so funny. Love it. Dumpster fire. Hello. So, um... It's funny. So we are going to be launching this new year with a new series that I'm telling you, 
I think God is in it, and I'm really excited about it. Aren't you glad the preacher thinks God is in the messages? Um, I think God is in it, and <laughs> this new series, oh, Lord. Um, the new series we're calling Get Your Life Back. Everyone say that with me. Get Your Life Back. Right. Now, what we're not doing is just putting a fresh coat of paint on New Year's resolutions and, you know, New Year, better you, blah, 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 all that stuff. You can get that anywhere, right? You come to church because you want to hear a word from God, and maybe that God is real. Maybe God has something fresh to say to you that you can't get anywhere else in the world. This is what we're going to be talking about, about get your life back. Now, um, several of us on our team have started reading a book uh, not just necessarily in the past couple of weeks, but all throughout last year. So I first got, encountered this book. It's called Get Your Life Back. Um, it's written by a man named John Eldridge. Many of you have probably read his books like Wild at Heart or Epic or uh, his wife wrote Captivating. And uh, he wrote this book called Get Your Life Back. Now, what we're not doing is preaching from that book. We believe in preaching from this book. That's more important, but we have gotten a lot of inspiration from this wonderful Christ follower and this teacher. And um, in this book that many of us have gotten inspired by, it's filling people with life. And so uh, I know that some people first began to read this right in the middle of the pandemic last year, like right when things were getting hard. Remember when we all thought, man, everything would just be closed down for three weeks? Remember that? Yeah, and then May hit, and you're like, oh, no. Um, right around then is when people were reading this book in our sphere of influence in our circles. And particularly one of them was my wife. And she would be reading this book, and I would see like tears of joy coming down her face as she was reading this. And then eventually she would go, I love this book, and I want you to read it. I'm like, that's great, babe. I have a pile of books I have to read. She's like, you, I want you to read it. Like, <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And uh, can I just say that uh, some of the approaches to Scripture and this topic um, – that we found have been so life-giving. And I've needed this. And I think, and our teaching team thinks, you need it. And we need it. And our culture needs it. Let me explain this. So let's think about the title for just a second. Get your life back. Okay? Now, let me just assure you, we're not photocopying the book and just teaching it. We're getting inspired from this and a stack of other books. We're preaching fresh messages from here. We're not stealing anybody's content. Um, but So let's just still take the title that he came up with. Get your life back. I want you to think with me just for a moment about that. Um, it assumes that something has gone missing in the first place. It's get your life back. Well, that means you used to have it, and now you don't. It means that something has been stolen, something has been lost, something has been misplaced, and that there's a part of our lives that have really struggled, and not just because of 2020. 2020 accelerated it, but it's always been there, especially in the past 20 years. So think about this. The pace of life has become at a blistering pace in America. I read a study this week that said from the year uh, about the mid-1960s to the mid-1990s, the average work week for Americans went from 41 hours a week to 47 hours a week. Now, it's 2020. Now, it's mid-1990s. A lot has changed even then. It's probably even higher than that. And that might not seem like a big deal. Like, okay, six hours on average. What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. And that same span of time went from 41 to 47 hours a week. On average, the average American works. The amount of time the average American spends on rest and leisure plummeted by 37% in the same time frame. What does that tell you? It tells you we're a culture that's working more, and when we're not working, we're doing this. 
going to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. A dizzying pace. One of the things that has led to the acceleration of the pace of life is our smartphones. We're living at the speed of swipe and like. And these things that have created so much space, like the first computer uh, would fit in a small house, and now that fits in your pocket. And we think that that'll make life so much more efficient, and it did. The only problem is we didn't take that efficiency and spend it on wise things. We took that efficiency and spent it on more things to make us busy. And so technology helping us with our pace of life, we're running at the pace of technology, which has just enabled us to run way faster than people are supposed to. We all know this, that too much screens is not good for the human mind and for the human heart. If you have kids, you know that there is a direct correlation between the amount of time your child spends in front of a screen and the amount they become like Satan incarnate. You just know. We just know. The average person consumes enough media in all its different various forms through screens that if you were your laptop, if you were your laptop, you would, the amount of media you consume every single week, in one week, you would crash. The amount of video you stream, the amount of TV we watch, the amount of things we see, the amount of things we read, if you put all of that and store that in a laptop, every single one of your laptops, even if you have a big storage capacity, would crash in one week. What do you think that does to the human brain? What do you think that leaves us for space and capacity for? Not a lot. Not a lot. And if that weren't enough, so life was already getting crazy busy in our culture. Way too busy that's, he- that's actually healthy for people. Like, I think there's a correlation between the pace and anxiety and depression that people have. And then we have all this screen stuff, which is making us run faster and making us less connected and less human. Like, we used to write letters, and then we wrote emails, and then emails got replaced by text, and then text got replaced by emojis and likes. And then probably next week, we'll just start grunting at each other because we don't know how to be human with each other anymore. All those things combined, and then you threw 2020 at it. And it's fun to joke about 2020, like, ha, 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 dumpster fire, except for if you lost somebody in 2020. I prayed with somebody on the phone this week who suddenly lost a family member to COVID. And even if it wasn't COVID enough, their tragedies happen regardless of global pandemics. All these things have a multiplying, compounding effect that deadens and dulls the human spirit. I read a quote that really made me identify with this for how I felt last year and going into this year. Maybe you can identify with it too. Um, It's the fictional character from Lord of the Rings, Bilbo Baggins. Anybody here love Lord of the Rings? Where are my nerds? Right here, okay. We'll take our retainers out and high five later. Okay. So Bilbo Baggins said this. He said, I feel thin. And not like thin, like, ooh, I feel thin, 2021, losing weight. I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. You feel like that? I do. And so if you feel this way, that you feel thin, Spread two things. Something's wrong on the inside, and life is running too fast for me to be able to receive more of God when I need God. 
then Jesus has a beautiful invitation for you this year. And it's to get your life back. So our passage for this series, which is going to be our theme verse, we're going to look at other scriptures all throughout the series, but for our theme verse that we're going to maybe memorize or we hope to memorize together as a church, it comes from Matthew chapter 11. And these are the words of Jesus and some of his most beautiful, iconic, hope-giving, soul-enriching, life-pouring words. And listen to this. He says this, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So the title of today's message, I'm calling Get Yoked. (laughs) As the young people say. Um, or if you don't connect with that at all, this message could be called a life-giving invitation. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray the words that, that the prophet Samuel learned to pray to you when he was a little boy and heard your whisper. Lord, there are many of us here today who are learning how to hear your whisper to us through your word. And we ask for grace with sensitive ears, so we pray Samuel's prayer now. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. I just invite you here in this room and online to just take a deep breath. Speak, Lord, we're listening. We're open. It's in your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Okay, so let's talk about this for just a moment. Um, Matthew is one of the four ancient biographies of the life of Jesus. If you're new to the Bible, there's four of them. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just because, just like if you want to learn about anybody, you don't learn or you don't read one biography. You read many biographies because they come from different perspectives. Uh, Matthew is unique because Matthew was written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples. It's all eyewitness accounts of, from the life of Jesus. Matthew had his life totally turned around by Jesus. He was a tax collector, hated by everyone. Jesus called him, changed his life forever. Now, Matthew, uh, the audience particularly for the Gospel of Matthew is originally for a Jewish audience. It's written to the Jewish people. The point is to convince them that Jesus is the Savior of the Jewish people, that he is the Messiah. And not only of the Jewish people, but of the entire world. Now, Jesus, a lot of people miss this somehow. I don't understand this, but they do miss this. Jesus, not only was Matthew written to a Jewish audience, but Jesus was Jewish. And by the way, Jesus is still Jewish. He never stopped being Jewish. He, okay, right? He never stopped being Jewish. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a, yep, he was the Messiah. He was a traveling, itinerant Jewish rabbi. Now, what you need to know about every single Jewish rabbi in the ancient world was all ancient Jewish first century rabbis had two things. They had apprentices, or like we call them disciples. They had apprentices, and they all had a yoke. All ancient rabbis had a yoke. Now, we see this here in the passage. Go ahead and put it up on verse uh, 20 and 29. Jesus said here, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you find rest for your souls. Take my, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Excuse me. 
He said, for my yoke is easy and, excuse me, my burden is light. Now, what did Jesus mean when he was talking about my yoke? Okay. Like we already joked already, like get yoked, bro. Which if you don't know, that just means like you lift weights, you get jacked. We know, we know he's not talking about that. Um, if you're unfamiliar with this, man, especially if you grew up in the suburbs like me, you're like yoked. Does he, does Jesus like eggs? Does Jesus like his eggs sunny side up? Does Jesus like his eggs scrambled here? Who likes sunny side up? Who likes scrambled? Who doesn't like eggs? You can go home. Everybody go, go home. Just kidding. Um, in fact, we lo- a lot of people love eggs here in Loxahatchee because a lot of people have chickens in our church. Go Loxahatchee. I ran into some of our friends on Christmas Eve. They love their chickens so much. They have framed pictures of their chickens up in their house, y'all. Only Loxahatchee. Only, yeah, right. So we're not talking about eggs. We're not talking about that. So a yoke, in a literal sense, was a farming instrument. It was what was a harness that two oxen wear across their necks for plowing a field or pulling a cart. Now, here's what's weird about this is that Jesus is not a farmer either. It's a farming metaphor, but he's not talking about farming. See, every rabbi had a yoke, but none of them meant farming equipment. They meant it as an ancient first world idiom. When Jesus said this, everyone understood what he meant, but we need to interpret it for ourselves. Here's what he meant by using this metaphor of a yoke and two oxen. I'm like, man, that doesn't sound good at all. Like you're trying to say I'm restful, but you're going to treat me like an ox to plow a field. What? Here's what he meant. A yoke is a lifestyle. It's how a rabbi would teach people how to approach the word of God, the Bible, and the way of God is prescribed in the Bible to understand how to approach life, how to bear the weight and the burden of life, like how to bear the weight of marriage or divorce or prayer or money or sex or government or conflict or on and on and on. All the things we have to navigate with life and to bear the burden of that life. When a rabbi teaches you, this is how you do life. That's called a yoke. It's a lifestyle. So here's what we're going to do for our time today. I'm going to give you one sentence that was just the foundation for the whole series. That's it. Just one sentence. Here's the first part of it. And write this down if you're taking notes. It's in the Sermon Notes app on the COH uh, app as well. It says here, Jesus offers a lifestyle. Jesus offers a lifestyle. That's what a yoke is. It's a lifestyle. Now, we all participate in lifestyles of different kinds. Um, there's a lot of people who love you know, the outdoors lifestyle here. There are people who are health nut lifestyle people, people who are vegan lifestyle, people who like CrossFit lifestyle, sports. I don't need water. Thank you. Um, sports lifestyle. That's very nice of you, but thank you. <laughs> and... Um, Uh, sports lifestyle and whatnot. So we all have different lifestyles that we all live into and we all kind of have. There's lifestyle brands where you not only buy a product, right, but you join a community that has all these things. This is part of what it means to be part of a lifestyle. Now we sang a song earlier today. Kat did a wonderful job where she's saying, you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. Aren't you glad I'm not trying to sing it as good as Kat did, right? You are the way, you are the truth, you are the what? Life. See, in churches like ours, we've done a really good job generationally teaching people about the way of Jesus, like his ethics, and about holiness. 
about sin and righteousness, the way. We've done a really good job talking about the truth that Jesus offers. Theology. Who is God? Who are we? What's the relationship between us? We have not done a good job teaching people how to live in the lifestyle of Jesus. Admittedly, this has been a blind spot for me. We talk a lot about what he says is true. We talk a lot about his ethics. We haven't paid attention to the rhythms of how he lived his life. The lifestyle of Jesus and how he had his days and weeks and months. We've missed it. Great author Dallas Willard said this. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived the entirety of his life. Adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving your enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently, and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just like everyone else around us does, it's a strategy that's bound to fail. In fact, there's strong evidence to show that maybe, for those of us who already identify as Christ followers, that maybe we've missed this very important piece of this lifestyle that Jesus offers. Here's why. So again, we're building a sentence, right? Jesus offers a lifestyle, but here's what we see from the passage. He offers a lifestyle that leads to rest. He offers a lifestyle that leads to rest. We can see it in the passage in verse 28. Come to me, all you weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this is where this is going to get a little bit challenging for some of us, especially for those of us, the longer we've been following Jesus. Um, Our church is full of people who are just now navigating faith and trying to figure it out. It's full of people who have been following Jesus for a little bit, and it's been full of people following Jesus for decades. For those who've been following Jesus a little bit longer, this is going to get challenging, because it is for me. Last week... Um, if you joined us for our online-only service, Brandon Weaver did a really great job preaching. Didn't Brandon do good if you watched? He did a great job. Did a great job. So, Brandon, if you're watching this, good job. I'm proud of you. Thank you for filling in. Love you, buddy. Thank you. Now, uh, Brandon talked about the method that we have for journaling through the Bible called SOAP. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. It's a great message. And, um, and I, it was just such a good refresher. Now, I remember actually reading Matthew 11, our passage for today, and journaling through it using the same method that Brandon talked about just last week. I was journaling through our passage for today two months ago, just by chance. And when I got to my application part of my journal, here's what I wrote down. And on a good day, it felt good because I felt like I was doing a good job. Same application, but on a different day, when you don't feel like you're doing a good job, it's a little bit challenging. (laughs) So here it is. Here's what I wrote. How does Jesus apply this idea of come to me, take my yoke upon me, learn from me, you'll find rest? It's this here. The evidence, this is what I wrote, the evidence of me rightly trusting Jesus. The evidence of that is me being well rested. That's the evidence of that. After the past six weeks I've had, I now read that and go, oof, ouch. Because I feel thin, like Bilbo Baggins said. 
Anybody else here feel thin? I see some of you nodding your heads. See, there is, there is always evidence that we're rightly following a teacher, that we're rightly following a master. There's always evidence that we're following what they teach right. So um, my son, Cade, he's doing karate, and the week before Christmas, he tested, and he got his green belt with a black stripe. Here's a picture of it. Look at it. He's a killer, isn't he? <laughs> isn't that cool? And that's uh, his awesome sensei, Sensei Scott, and, or Shihan Scott, I should say, and uh, love our dojo. Now, Cade, there's evidence he's rightly following his master because he's advancing in rank. There's evidence of it. When I was home uh, for Christmas this past week in Tampa, I spent a lot of time with my brother's house, and uh, my brother loves to grill, and he loves to smoke meat, and he loves his big green egg. Any dudes in here love your big green egg? Ooh, yeah. And he's really good at it, and he follows pit masters and barbecue masters and on, online, on YouTube, and blogs and books. He just loves this stuff. He's obsessed with it. It's his hobby. And he cooked for us. He smoked these chicken wings that we ate on New Year's Day and watching all the football games that were phenomenal. They were like, uh, like I'm not sure if it was like sweet and spicy, something dry rub. They, they were charred and crispy and perfect, and you're hungry for lunch now, and... <laughs> Oh, they were so good. Ooh, they were so good. The evidence my brother is rightly following these pit masters is the good food, right? And the evidence of us rightly following Jesus' prescribed lifestyle is a well-rested soul. But I think we really struggle with that. I think in America, we've actually forgotten how to rest. Now, I don't mean crash. We know how to crash. We know how to binge. We know how to binge watch. We don't know how to rest and find rest for your soul. John Orberg did say this in his book. Here's one great quote that is midway through the book. He talks about the difference between looking for relief and looking for rest. Check this out. He said, relief, it's momentary. It's checking out, numbing, sedating yourself. Television is relief. Netflix is relief. Especially Cobra Kai is relief. <laughs> Eating a bag of cookies is relief. Tequila is relief. And let's be honest, relief is what we reach for because it's immediate and usually within our grasp. Most of us turn there to relief. When really what we need is what Jesus offers is rest. We know how to grab for the easy, but we don't know how to grab for the more important one. We don't even know how to do this. But Jesus offers a different way. So here's the bottom line for this whole thing. Jesus offers a lifestyle that leads to rest. Not relief, rest. Because he is the God of restoration. He is the God of restoration. This is so important that we start here in this message today. That we start with un you understanding who is this Jesus. So you might trust him and the offer that he makes. He says it in Matthew 11. We're going to put that up one last time. That he offers rest. Not just for you to chill out and kick your feet up, but offers rest for your soul. 
for the spiritual part of you, the deep inner part of you that is at the core of who you are, that God touched with his breath, that God made in his image, the only part of you that only God can touch. That only God knows how to breathe real life and rest into that part of who you are. And this is who the God of the Bible is. This is who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. This is who the God of Exodus and the God of Moses is. This is who the God of David is. And this is who the God and Father of Jesus Christ is. Listen to these verses. They're not on the screen. Exodus 33, verse 14. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Jeremiah 6, 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. David wrote perhaps the most famous passage of scripture, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And then we come back to Jesus. And we'll look at Matthew 11 one last time. But this time, instead of using a a proper translation, we're going to look at the message paraphrase which it's a paraphrase of what Jesus said, but it so captures the spirit of what Jesus was saying. Listen to these words from Eugene Peterson, paraphrasing Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 28. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. He's the God of restoration, the God who restores what's been lost or stolen or misplaced. He's the God who gives life back to those who need it. I remember, and this isn't even in my notes, on me and Leah's wedding day, she walked down the aisle to in a fringe worship song that just captivated our hearts in the mid-2000s. It's called Restoration. And as she walked down the aisle, we're singing about who Jesus is and what he does how he takes mourning and turns it into dancing. He takes weeping and turns it into laughing. He takes sadness and he turns it into joy. He brings restoration and he makes all things new. Do you need to be made new on the inside? Do you need your life back? I want you to pretend with me for something just for a moment. I want you to pretend that you got a text message from Jesus. In fact, I have a picture of my phone up here. I'm going to put it up, Lynn. And, you know, this is my phone last night. And I have a reminder to water my plants. And that don't worry, Jesus doesn't actually text me. I'm not that spiritual. (laughs) 
But let's pretend Jesus texted me. And let's pretend it's your phone and he texted you. Now you get extra points because, you know, there's the background graphic for the sermon series that we give to people that's already on my iPhone. So he's already happy about that. But then he texts and says something like, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. How do you think you'd respond to that? It was just a text message. See, a lot of times when somebody sends a text, like the worst text in the world is when somebody texts you and says, can we talk? Because immediately you're either like, oh, I'm happy to talk to this person, or immediately you're like, oh, no, what do they want to talk about? Put the text back up, please. That reveals what you really think about a person's demeanor, doesn't it? With a text like that. If Jesus were to send you a text like this, it says, come to me, get away with me, and you recover your life, how do you think you would react? Would you be cynical? And laugh. That's everyone else gets that. I don't ever get that. Would you be confused? Like you recover your life? I thought God was the one who said more, who demanded more of me, more, better, faster, work harder. It's not enough. It's not enough. Do more, 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 more. And then Jesus comes through and breaks through all that noise. It says, "No, come to me, and you'll recover." Your life, I'll give you rest. Who do you think Jesus is? Is he the false God of more? It's not actually Jesus. That's Pharaoh from the Bible. Or is he the God of restoration? And if he is this, and you learn to trust him, that he means it when he says, come to me, trust me. I won't take from you. I'll give to you. Do you believe that? This series has to start here with who you think God is. Will you trust him in his invitation? Trust him that he actually is this good to offer you life and life to the full. Here's where we're going to end the message for today. I'm not asking for anybody to make any major decision. I'm just asking you to answer some questions to yourself and maybe to God. Here's a five questions John Eldridge puts in his book. It's like a soul question. We're just going to put them up on the screen at the same time. We're going to put it on social media later this week, so you don't need to write them all down. But ask yourself these questions in light of everything I just said. When was the last time you felt carefree? Are you happy most of the time? Do you feel deeply loved? Are you excited about your future? How often do you feel lighthearted? Do you need to get your life back? And if so, come back next week and learn the lifestyle of Jesus and we'll learn together. Amen? Amen.